Good morning. My name is John Best. I'm one of the pastors here at Willingdon Church. We're in the middle of a series called Living in the Real World, working through the book of First Peter. Today we're going to push the pause button on studying First Peter, but we are very much going to continue talking about living in the real world. It was the summer of 1994. And I was on my first ever short-term mission trip in Austria, one of the most developed countries in the world. And my job as an eager, energetic 20-year-old was to build relationships with a whole bunch of refugees, people who found themselves in Austria. And our job was to encourage them and to point them toward Jesus. Well, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. In a lot of ways, if I'm honest, I was drawn to this particular mission assignment because I've been a lifelong fan of the movie The Sound of Music. (laughs) And so in Austria, after all, the hills are alive with The Sound of Music, (laughs) with songs they've sung for a thousand years, but... What I experienced in Austria was not singing hills. What I experienced was a whole bunch of people from countries like Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Bosnia, who who had fled their countries, often with fear for their lives. And now they were just waiting for months and years on end in tiny hotel rooms in idyllic Austria. They weren't going to stay in Austria. They were just sojourners passing through, hoping to come to Canada or America. I met a couple there named Reem and Alim. Reem and Alim. Easy to remember because their names rhyme. Reem and Alim had been forced out of their country by their government because they were vocal opponents of the government. They were both doctors. And when I met them, they were waiting in Austria, hoping for approval to be granted access to the United States. They had lived in a hotel room for years. Reem's intent was to study to meet the requirements to be a doctor in the United States. She wanted to continue to be a doctor. Aleem, on the other hand, wanted to switch from being a doctor and become a jewelry maker. But when I was with them, they were just waiting, uprooted. Very little in their life was under their control. As I spent time with Reem and Alim and dozens of other refugees in Austria, God started to show me some things about myself and about himself. He showed me that I had a lot of growing up to do. I grew up in a really loving, safe, privileged environment for which I'm so thankful But one thing that God challenged me with that summer was to look beyond myself, to see and to care for others who were in need. It was was that summer that God started to shape in me a heart that more reflects his heart for justice and compassion. God taught me a lot about himself that summer too. Really two main things. First, God 
deeply loves people from every tribe and nation and tongue. And the second, and this is our theological launching point for today, God has a special heart for people who are oppressed and helpless, people who are vulnerable. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. In the Bibles in this room, it's page 828. Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 34 is where I'll read. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If Jesus says that these are the most important commandments, we should pay attention. Willingdon Church is all about knowing Jesus Christ personally and carrying on his ministry. And so Jesus' answer to the question of what's the greatest commandment should be our answer too. The most important things in life, according to Jesus, are love God with all we have and all we are and love people with all we have and all we are. It's easier said than done, isn't it? So we have these two foundational instructions. Love God with all we have and all we are and love people with all we have and all we are. For any of you who have been exploring Christianity or following Jesus for any length of time, these probably aren't new instructions for you. But they're foundational, and I find it helpful to be reminded of foundational truths and instructions from time to time. So let's set this instruction on our desk or, or leave the window open on our web browser, if you will, and open up another window into who God is and how he would have us live. It's very closely related, but slightly nuanced, so it's worthy of some focus. So love God, love people, and the new window is this. God has a special heart for people who are vulnerable. God has a special heart for people who are vulnerable. What do I mean? Well, here's the definition of vulnerable. A person in need of special care, support, or protection because of age, disability, or risk of abuse or neglect. Words that mean similar things to vulnerable are helpless, Defenseless, powerless, weak, susceptible. So within the context of loving people, there are some really specific and important indications that God cares in a special way for people who are vulnerable. And taking it one step further, the Bible really clearly says that not only does God care for people who are vulnerable, but so should we. Well, where do we find this heart of God indicated in Scripture? It's a whole bunch of places. Here are a few. James chapter 1, verse 27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction 
and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Orphans and widows. Those are two groups of people that are often vulnerable. Another place where we see God's heart for the vulnerable is Matthew 25, verses 35 and on. This is Jesus speaking. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Well, this is an interesting section. Some thinkers suggest that Jesus may have been talking about his disciples and how people were treating them. Whether that's the case or not, Jesus is very clearly talking about people who are experiencing vulnerability. Hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, imprisoned. And he says that how we treat them is how we treat him. How we treat them is how we treat him. Or put a different way, it says this a little later in Matthew 25. If we mistreat or don't care for people who are vulnerable, we're actually mistreating and not caring for Jesus. 1 John 4.20 says this too. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. So let's go back to this first window of instruction that we have open. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, it's easy for me to read these instructions and think of them as two separate instructions, two instructions on a list. Love God, check. Love people, check. Separate instructions on a list. But the truth is, they're actually intertwined. They're inseparable We can't love God fully if we don't love people fully. Because if we're mistreating or not caring for people who are vulnerable, we're actually mistreating and not caring for Jesus or not loving God with all our heart and soul and mind. Throughout the Old Testament, we find again and again mention of God's care for people who are vulnerable. One author, a guy named Stephen Bauman, says this, Justice for the quartet of the vulnerable, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor, is especially important to God. That's an interesting way to describe these groups, the quartet of the vulnerable. Again, And again, in scripture, God's care for the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor is expressed. Isaiah 1, verse 16 and 17. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Or in Deuteronomy 10, it says this, The Lord executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. Refugees are sojourners. Giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. 
There are a lot of vulnerable people in this world. In a moment, I'm going to talk specifically about refugees. To highlight this particular current global reality, And to use it as an example of how the Lord invites us to step into caring for vulnerable people. God's call is clear. Love people who are vulnerable. But the specifics of God's call for each of us will probably be quite different. The needs in this world are broad. The opportunities to love people who are vulnerable can actually be overwhelming. Within the last couple of weeks, I've had opportunities to meet with a few organizations that are trying to live out this call to serve people who are vulnerable. And they're really varied. In Ecuador, a couple of weeks ago, I met with the leader of Compassion in that nation. Compassion works directly with local churches to see vulnerable children cared for and developed. I also had the opportunity in Ecuador to meet with an organization called Christopol, which is a group of Christian police officers who are working to see family violence reduced in their nation. This past week here, I met with International Justice Mission, an organization that works in some of the most challenging settings in the world, freeing people from slavery and human trafficking. Did you know that there are millions upon millions of people today who are slaves. I also had a chance to get an experiential glimpse of Union Gospel Mission here in Vancouver. They serve vulnerable people here in our city. So the needs are great, and the opportunities to step into caring for people who are vulnerable are many. My goal is not to overwhelm you or guilt you into doing something, but to remind you of God's heart and God's instruction and God's invitation. My prayer is that today the Lord will spark or confirm a sense of call in some of your lives to pour yourself into serving one specific group of vulnerable people. Well, one group of people that are vulnerable are refugees. Let's spend some time talking about refugees. Some of you may have come to Canada as a refugee, and so you might be able to relate to this conversation on a very personal level. Over the past couple of years, the global refugee crisis has been very prominent in world media. Some sources say that there are over 60 million forcibly displaced people in the world today. People who have needed to leave their home because of danger or oppression or lack of basic need. 60 million, that's a lot of people. I'm trying to visualize it. You can imagine pretty much doubling the population of Canada. And that's the number that you've got. Or, this may or may not be helpful for you, but I I did some math this week. And if you stacked 60 million loonies on top of each other, you know, the $1 coins, just stack them. I think I got this right. I'm not really a math guy, but I think I got it. Um, I did it five times. Got the same answer every time. It would reach, if you stacked 60 million loonies, it would reach 117 kilometers into the sky. 172.7 miles. 117 kilometers into the sky. 60 million. It's a lot of people. Or you could think about it this way. It's about one out of every 125 people in the world. 
that are currently forcibly displaced. It's a lot of people. Refugees are all over the place. It's not just Syria, although what's going on there is big. In Ecuador, where I visited recently, there are a whole bunch of Venezuelan refugees. We have a long-term missionary in South Sudan. Her name is Sandy Ewan. She recently told me that there are tens of thousands of refugees living in a refugee camp right beside where she lives, and the number's growing. The Rohingya in Myanmar are another group of forcibly displaced people. Our missionary, Johan Matis, in Europe, serves many forcibly displaced people in Ukraine. And there are refugees right here in Vancouver. Refugees are people. That might seem like a silly statement. But one of the things that sometimes happens when we label or categorize a person by some reality in their life is that we forget some of the basics. There are 60 million forcibly displaced people in the world. When we say it like that, it's easy to simply think of this as a crisis or a problem or an inconvenience or simply a matter for policymakers to work through. We could think that there is this big group that's essentially creating inconvenience, expense, and discomfort for those who are not refugees. But what if we remember that each refugee in this world is an individual who's created by God and is deeply loved by God? 60 million people is a number that's hard to fathom, hard to deal with. What happens if we bring this down to an individual level? What if we think about individuals like Reem and Alim, who I introduced you to at the beginning? These are people with gifts and experiences, passions and hopes, pains and joy. People who are created in God's image. They are individuals who have intrinsic value are recipients of God's love and are deserving of our love and care. Well, to frame this conversation about refugees a little more specifically, turn with me, if you would, to Leviticus chapter 19. It's page 98 in the Bibles in this room. Leviticus 19. Some of you might remember that Pastor Ray made reference to this chapter recently. In Leviticus 19 verse 2, it says this, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the overarching thesis statement of this chapter. And then the instructions below it help us to live out holiness. Well, in this chapter, there's a really compelling verse here with specific instructions about how to treat refugees. Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34 says this. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. This is an interesting verse. Within this verse, I see three levels of instruction for how we are to treat refugees. First, it says, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong, or you shall do him no wrong. So don't harm or mistreat them. Don't harm or mistreat them. That seems like a good basic instruction that many of us can agree to. Out of human decency, let's not harm or mistreat a person. But then there's a second level of instruction here that raises the bar significantly. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you 
as the native among you. So don't do them harm, but now also treat them as if they are one of your own people. Treat them like they belong among us. That's a significantly higher bar. It could shift our attitudes. It could highlight some prejudices. It might even have some government policy implications. But the instruction actually goes even further. It says this, third level of instruction, you shall love him as yourself. All of a sudden, the bar for how we're to treat a refugee is raised as high as it can go. Love them as we love ourselves. This verse brings us right back to where we started with Jesus defining the greatest commandments. Love God with all you are and all you have and love people with all you have and all you are. That's how we're supposed to treat refugees. Well, let's bring this conversation out of the theological realm and into the practical realm. James Grunow, why don't you come on up? Many of you know James, but in a crowd this size, many of you also don't know him, I'm sure. James runs an organization called Journey Home Community that serves one particular group of refugees here in greater Vancouver. Willingdon considers Journey Home one of our strategic ministry partners. Just last weekend, a bunch of us got on our bikes and went on the ride for refuge and raised a bunch of funds for Journey Home. So we've got all sorts of connections with with this ministry. I've asked James to give us a glimpse of what Journey Home does, how God has used this ministry, and how it started. Welcome. Thank you, John. Did you know that every year, 1,500 asylum seekers arrive in Metro Vancouver, virtually homeless and looking for protection? They've fled persecution in their home country and have come to Canada to make a refugee claim. So we call them refugee claimants. And this is the population group that Journey Home Community reaches out to and serves. Not government or privately sponsored refugees who've had their status determined outside of our country, but refugee claimants, asylum seekers, who have their refugee status determined inside of Canada. We call them refugee claimants, and there are very few groups or resources available for these vulnerable people upon arrival. Journey Home Community provides housing, resettlement support, and relational care for refugee claimant families as they arrive. We have a number of housing units, which we manage. We connect them to community resources and help them through that whole difficult claim process. And then we try to help them develop friendships, both with inside our journey home setting, but also in the larger community. It's really important that settlement be holistic. That's what the gospel, the good news is. It's holistic. It addresses every dimension of our lives. The physical, the social, the emotional, and of course, the spiritual. Perhaps I could illustrate with the story of one of our families. Maria came to us as a single mom with three kids and really quite vulnerable. She was fragile. She had come from Mexico where life for ordinary people can be very chaotic and dangerous. Many people from Mexico actually make successful refugee claims in Canada due to the persecution they face, the death threats upon their lives, family members being killed, and so they come seeking protection. And Maria came with her family, and so we set her up in a furnished apartment. 
We connected them to community resources, helped the kids register in school, and helped her through her claim process. We also gave her a Bible, as is our custom, and it was a children's Bible. So she began to read these stories to her children, and not long after came to us and said, could you introduce me to a priest? I'm getting questions here from my kids that I don't have answers for. So we connected her to a Spanish-speaking church, and uh, it wasn't long after when Maria came to faith. And uh, soon after, her, uh, her two kids and herself were baptized. And she took off in her journey with Jesus. She turned from this vulnerable, fragile person into a person of strength and a strong witness for Christ. And she was finding transformation in multiple areas of her life. Eventually, she made her way to Willingdon Church with her family, and she plugged into the Spanish-speaking ministry here and became friends with Jorge and Aime Salazar. Well, the time came for Maria's refugee hearing, and she was denied refugee status in Canada. And she said, rather than going through a long appeal process, I I think I just have to go back to my country and, and admit that I'm not accepted here as a refugee. So we suggested that she consider relocating in Mexico, not to the place where she was having all the trouble before, but Maria, why don't you think about moving to La Paz, where Jorge and Aime are, because they had left Canada and had moved to the Baja in Mexico to do some church planting. So she said, I'll pray about it, and she did, and decided to go for it. So I took her and her family to the airport, which is just one of the most difficult jobs that we have in Journey Home Community, is saying goodbye, sending people back to situations to we don't know what, because they've been denied a refugee claim. And we we said goodbye, and she went on her way and did actually move to La Paz. And sometime later, we received an email from Jorge, and he gave us an update on Maria. She had found work, she had plugged into the church, And she was now leading the Discovering Jesus class for a group of co-workers from her place of employment. This past January, I had the chance to visit the Salazars and Maria in her city. And uh, what a delight to attend church with them on a Sunday morning and have her introduce me to one or two of those co-workers who are now attending and serving in the church there. For Maria, it was not a wasted journey. Yes, she had made this long refugee pilgrimage, had uprooted, had tried to learn and, and, and dig into a new culture, but God had some plans for her. And she had come to faith and made a whole new way of life. And even though her claim was not successful, and actually about 60 to 65% of claims are successful in Canada... Even though her claim was not successful, she had found a new life and is now actually safe and experiencing a whole new perspective of this life journey. Over these past 12 years, we've actually had the privilege of welcoming some 500 refugee claimants from 40 different nations into our community. So how did it all begin? Well, in the winter of 2005, our Willingdon Church home group was confronted with the need of these hundreds and hundreds of refugee claimants arriving in our city every year. 
And so we said, is there something that we're being called to do? We began to think and pray on that. And, and a short time after, we decided to have a, a more of a public meeting at, at, at church here. And we scheduled uh, the chapel after a morning service. And other folks gathered. And the movement began to gain a little momentum. Then someone in our home group made their rental house in Surrey available and said, here it is. And people were saying, let's go for it. And I was thinking, whoa, um, are we ready? Do we have a strategic plan? What, what's this all going to look like? But I didn't want to be the naysayer in this group of eager and inspired people, so we did go for it. And before we knew it, we had two families living in this uh, little refugee house in Surrey. Family from Mexico, actually, and another family from Afghanistan. Both families had received death threats in their country, and so they had come to Canada to seek protection. And it was an exciting and inspiring time, a little heady. Here was this little group of volunteers, and we were doing our day jobs and then coming together after working on weekends to, to learn refugee ministry kind of on the fly and helping people settle in and sharing Jesus' love in whatever ways we could. God honored that step of faith with that group. And months later, we incorporated as a nonprofit organization, received some funding from World Vision, which really helped launch our ministry, and uh, took up a little offering, I think of $700, which has now been multiplied many, many times over. God's blessed us with now three refugee houses, multiple transition housing units, seven staff people, many partner churches, and a whole host of volunteers and supporters. So thank you to all of you who've been on mission with refugees and with Journey Home Community over these past years. I could share a lot more stories and, and give you updates. And uh, if you're interested, love to get together with you and do that. One of the things that when people ask me what's been exciting about ministry is I say, watching what God does that we could not make happen. So this weekend, open yourselves to God and don't hold back. I promise as you do that, you will have a life of adventure and fulfillment that you may not have dreamed of. Let's pray for James and for Journey Home. Thank you so much, Lord, for, uh, for giving this group of people a, a vision and then the boldness to pursue it. And uh, thank you for what Journey Home does. I pray that you would continue to use the organization and the great team in mighty ways to serve many people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank Thanks, you. Journey Home started with a little research, a vision that captivated a small group, and the boldness to give it a shot. These are world changers. If you'd like to learn more about Journey Home, I've got a special opportunity for you. Just this week, we've launched a brand new podcast called the Willingdon on Mission Podcast. And every two weeks, we'll have an interview with one of our missionaries or somebody who's done short-term mission or one of the partner agencies that we work with. You can find it online. 
willingdon.org backslash WOM, W-O-M, Willingdon on Mission. That's right up there. Dash podcast. That's where it is. And in the very first episode, the reason I'm talking about this now is the very first episode is an interview between myself and James. And so you can find out much more about Journey Home if you're interested in, in listening. Well, what about you? What dream has the Lord given you? Is there an issue or a group of people that moves you to tears when you think about it? What crazy idea for changing the world has he planted within you? What steps is he inviting you to take to advance his mission? My dream is that every single person in the Willingdon Church family will be eager and active participants in God's mission here and around the world. Gary Haugen, the guy who runs International Justice Mission, says this, God's call isn't to feel bad about injustice, but to do justice. Marvelously, God never gives us a mission without granting us the power to do it. And through the mission, he also promises to change us, to make us more like his son. If a small group at Willingdon Church could start Journey Home and develop it into a flourishing ministry, just think of the potential that exists in this room. What if the Lord planted a specific calling into each of our lives and then we took some risks to see these callings worked out? I think that's exactly what God does. Our calls are general and specific. General, love God and love people. But specific, God created each of us to do good works, some specific good works. My specific calling is different than your specific calling. I'm called to mobilize a generation of believers to eagerly engage in God's mission. And I've got a growing sense of call to be an advocate for children around the world. James is called to serve a specific refugee population here in Vancouver. Well, to what or to whom is the Lord calling you? Perhaps the Lord has stirred something within you related specifically to serving refugees. Wonderful. A couple of things you could do today. You could check out the Journey Home table in the lobby and sign up to be on their prayer team. Or if the Lord's moved you to give something financially, we had a missions banquet on Thursday night and our giving project was to, uh, to give some money to Journey Home and also to MB Mission who has a refugee project in Surrey. So we're still collecting money for that project. If you're interested, just write refugees on your giving envelope. But for some of you, I'm guessing that the call that you're either discovering or already engaged in is not related to refugees specifically. The Lord's giving you a heart for something else and is positioning you to engage in some way. That's great. My encouragement to you is to take one step this week towards something that you think the Lord is calling you to. I find that there are some common barriers that keep me from stepping into something that the Lord is calling me to. 
I'll just give you a glimpse of some of the ones I deal with. You might be able to relate. The first is fear. God often calls us to step outside of our comfort zone. And it's scary. If we let it, fear can blockade us from moving forward down the path that the Lord would have us take. So fear is one barrier that I face. Another one that I face, selfishness. God's call often has some sort of cost related to it. Stepping into God's call often costs time, money, or even safety and reputation. Sometimes I hesitate to say yes to an invitation that the Lord is placing before me because of the cost. So fear and selfishness are two barriers. The third one is this, a sense of inadequacy. When God calls us to big things, it's easy to feel like we aren't mature enough or well enough equipped. This can cripple us and cause us not to step into what God has for us. But really, when God calls us to big things that seem beyond our capabilities, that's exactly when we get to see the Lord's Spirit empower us and transform us in ways that wouldn't have happened if we had said no to the opportunity. I find encouragement in verses like Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, those are some of the barriers that I often face when I consider God's specific call in my life. Perhaps you can relate. One step of response for you this week could be to ask the Lord whether there are any specific barriers that he would like to help you break down so that you can move forward. So as I close off here today, I'd love for each of you to simply think of one tangible action you will take this week related to God's calling in your life. And write it down. Maybe for you, it will mean coming before the Lord and confessing, Lord, I've been fearful. I've been selfish. I've felt inadequate. But today, I ask you to change that within me. Perhaps your response this week is learning more about a particular area of need that you feel moved by. Maybe it's stopping by the journey home table and signing up to be on their prayer team. Maybe it's giving some funds to the refugee banquet fundraiser or to some other ministry to vulnerable people. Or maybe it's something really unique and creative, an idea the Lord has planted within you that no one else would think of doing. Maybe the Lord's given you an idea or a passion that you should bring to your small group. Get them to pray and discern with you and see how the Lord might even lead you as a group. God calls each of us to engage in his mission. Let's walk forward with faith and with hope and with joy. Let's pray. Lord, I believe that you call each one of us to engage in your mission. I believe that you have given each of us gifts and experiences, passions and hopes, uh, desires and things that move us in specific ways. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would, in this moment and in the, in the days to come, would you call us with specificity? Would you call us really specifically and clearly to engage in your mission in the ways that you've designed for, for each of us as individuals? Lord, if there are barriers in our lives, would you identify them and then transform us? Give us the boldness to step into the transforming work that you would have to do in our lives. If there are dreams and visions that need to simply be put into action, but we're afraid, would you break the fear and enable us to walk forward with faith and with joy? And Lord, may the end result be that you are glorified. That's the end result here. It's not about us, but it's about you being glorified. So Lord, I pray that you would work in each one of our lives. Would you equip us to walk forward in your mission? In Jesus' name. And now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you.